0: Welcome everyone to the latest episode of The Graw Pod. I'm your host, Doug Graw, joined as always by my faithful friend and business partner, Gary Randall. Gary, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Doug. Good to see you. Looking forward to this episode.
0: Yes, this is a good episode. You and I spent some time brainstorming, hey, what do you think the next topic should be and all that kind of stuff. And usually we try to build topics based off of questions we're hearing or just commentary going on in the news and around the industry and so on. And today's topic is something you and I have been kicking around for a few weeks. And the day we're recording this, I'm not sure it could be more timely. We're recording on this topic because, yeah, we've had a number of questions about this, done little bit of work in this space it's all over the news has been for quite a while and we can say this this is no client no inside baseball knowledge just reading the headlines today looks like heartland express is making a bit of a splurge buying cfi
1: big news for the industry there's no doubt about that and the timing as you said couldn't be more perfect for the topic we want to discuss
0: Yeah. So what is that topic? We're not here to talk about necessarily mergers and acquisitions, how to structure deals. There are plenty of people who are fantastic in that space of making deals happen and how to structure them and how to finance them and all those things. There's great people that do that work. But Gary, something you and I have spent a healthy amount of time over the years has been on the implementation side. On the implementation side, as far as being a seller and on the implementation side, as far as being a buyer goes. When other people are kind of working on the deal and focusing on the deal with the ownership group, you and I have spent some hours, plenty of hours just talking about, okay, on the floor, what do we have to do? What do we have to do in operations? What do we have to do in this department or that department with this issue, with that issue now that the business decision is being made? So we want to spend a little bit of time talking about that today.
1: Yeah, I think it really starts out with a well-thought-out, organized timeline. There's got to be some structure to it because I think there are going to be so many to-dos in a situation like that, that if it's not organized and if there's not some timeline put to it, you can definitely turn the corner and realize that you didn't get half done what you really planned on getting done.
0: And that timeline is critical, I think, on both sides of the transaction to be thinking about and creating and then comparing notes to make sure they're on the same page. And it starts with that initial communication of, okay, when are we announcing this to whom? When are we starting with our management team, our leadership team? When are we starting with our internal staff, our drivers, our technicians, And then hopefully last but not least, the outside world and what's going on in the outside world. And we should also add, not to spend a ton of time on it, but sometimes that outside world can not necessarily just mean about notifying the press, but your local trade associations and what does this mean for them? They're going to have questions about this if you're a significant employer in your town. Your local mayor and city council might have some interest in what's going on. So don't underestimate that outside world. So that's why I say it probably is last. It should be last, but don't think of it as least.
1: I think that's absolutely right, Doug. And I think the overlying message, whether you're talking about the internal communication or the external communication, is you want to be able to control the message. So if you don't have a well thought out timeline about who you're going to speak to when and about what, then the message will get out and then you're going to be trying to retract or you're going to be trying to correct the message and you don't want to put yourself in a position of that. You want to be in a position of strength controlling the message.
0: Yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about that initial communication. I should say not the initial communication. You'll type up and wordsmith some communication that goes out to folks, but kind of that very next set of communication, that FAQs, that when you start opening up the phone lines and actually talking with people. Talk to us about in the operations world, what are some critical things to be thinking about?
1: I think first of all, one of the things you need to do is make sure that your communication or your message is an empathetic message because someone on one side of that transition is being purchased. So then that creates all kinds of questions for the staff and for everyone else involved with the organization. And it can become kind of an emotional time. So you want to make sure that you stick to the facts. You don't want to tell them something that isn't true, but you want to be empathetic in the way you craft the message as you're talking to them. I think as you start to talk to the drivers, there'll be an initial comment and announcement telling them what's happening. But then it's going to be important to have some follow-up question and answer time. Probably the best way to do that, since the drivers are out in the network calling in from all over the region or the country, is to set up some conference calls where they can call in and ask whatever question they have, kind of a free-flowing conversation. It's important. I think companies sometimes make the mistake where they say, well, we had one of those. Well, you had one of those at 10 o'clock in the morning when 40% of your fleet was driving down the road trying to deliver your freight. It's important to have one in the morning. It's important to have one in the afternoon. It's important to have one in the evening when some of the guys are at truck stops and have some time to talk with you. It doesn't really matter how big your fleet is. You've got to schedule those various times to make sure that everybody gets a chance to call in. And then you need to be patient because the same question is going to get asked multiple times during each call. A driver is going to call in halfway through the call, not realize that his question's already been covered and you're going to be repeating yourself. That's okay. But that time is spent trying to get the message across and trying to make sure that everybody is as comfortable as they can be with what's happening. Once those meetings are over, the next logical step is to start working with recruiting and you want to retain as many of those drivers as you can. Well, you need to find a way to really focus in on that particular group of drivers. So create a unique 1-800 number and have that number answered by a handful of your recruiters, probably your best recruiters, your best salespeople. And then those folks are going to understand who's calling. They're going to understand why they're calling because you're going through this transition and they're going to be best equipped with some really great talking points that you're going to put together about what those driving opportunities are and how they could fit those drivers. I think that's a key to get started quickly with the drivers on that.
0: I want to pick on a couple of things there. First, starting where you were leaving off with the drivers and that recruiting and putting your best recruiters. I do agree with that. We need to have a good phone number and good recruiters on this, but I think it's critical when we've seen successful transactions, there are multiple cross teams on the buyer and seller in different departments. Meaning we've got ops people talking to ops people. We've got recruiting people talking to recruiting people and so on so that we are, consistent with our messaging because we know whether you're a driver, a technician, or an office employee, when something like this happens, you're going to have questions. You're going to go to people you trust, which may or may not be the department that you think it would have been or should be. You have to make sure that people up and down and across your organization are saying similar things, whether you're on the buyer side or on the seller side to ensure a relatively smooth transaction. Because whether or not you're successful with recruiting and retaining, whether we're talking drivers, technicians, or office employees, it's going to take a total team effort. It's not going to be just because you have a great recruiter that did an awesome sales job. Everybody's got to be singing the same things because they will hear the differences. Well, this person made it sound like that was not the case. Now you're telling me I'm not going to be able to be home X amount of time, or you're telling me that you're not going to dispatch this way or that way or whatever the case would be. So I think that communication idea that extends across many departments
1: Yeah, you're really talking about that concept of identifying champions that can help you with the message. So one example would be, if you're the purchasing company and you've got drivers in your fleet that used to drive at the company that you're now going to purchase, if those drivers are happy and successful, it's nice to make them available as a contact for the incoming recruits that you're trying to bring over from the company you're trying to buy. That's a quality contact as far as the driver's concerned, because he knows that the driver has driven at the company he's getting ready to leave, and the driver is currently driving at the company that he may be heading over toward. So the driver on the purchasing company really becomes the champion of that side of it. But that is true whether we're talking about drivers or office staff. If there's a person in your safety department that's kind of a go-to person You want to make sure you're involving that person in the talking points, not just for the safety department, but for the other departments as well. So I think your point is valid that you've got to make sure that you identify these key people within your organization that are going to help you carry the message. If you don't do that, then the message is still going to get out there, but it may not be portrayed the way you want it to be.
0: I think also a key part of making that communication effectively, you talked earlier about managing the emotions, but being empathetic. And I think something that I've learned watching you closely over the years that you excel at is I'm going to give this conversation enough space for there to be a natural emotional response, but not so much space that I lose control. That this doesn't just go down rabbit holes and either screaming matches or whatever the case is. Not that much space, but enough space that I understand, that I recognize, and I make sure you, recipient of this message, feel it is okay for you to react naturally, which might be upset, excitement, apathy, who knows. But then let's talk about what we really need to talk about. Here are the facts, not the rumor mill. Here are the facts and what you can expect. And that goes for whether or not you're on the seller side or on the buyer side.
1: I think that's true. I think people are going to be a lot more receptive to your message if you let them have some time to begin with. Because they are going to have some things that they want to get off their chest or just plain concerns that they feel like they need to voice and that they really do want answers to. And they don't want an answer that's going to make them feel happy today and upset them a week from now when they realize it wasn't really an accurate answer. People want the truth. You just need to give them a chance to kind of ask it in their own way.
0: So let's move a little bit past that initial communication. You've kind of gotten through the initial flurry, the initial hit. Generally speaking, in some kind of a merger and acquisition transaction, there are goals around, and I'm not talking about deal, financial, I'm just talking about if I'm buying a trucking company, I'm interested in the drivers, the equipment, the personnel that aren't driving, and the freight, and maybe some real estate and some other things too. But let's talk about those main four, the freight, the equipment, the people, the drivers. And what advice you might give, Gary, for how to attack those four buckets to ensure the transition is is as successful as it can be? Yeah,
1: it all goes back to that word we've been repeating over and over so far today, and it's communication. So if we're talking about the freight, for instance, I think it's important that that announcement that you're going to send out publicly, you send that specifically, can be the same announcement, but you send it specifically to your key customer contacts at your shipper's so that they feel immediately like they know what's happening and that they're in the loop. I think the second step is the two companies need to sit down and determine who are our shared customers and who would be new customers to the purchasing company. If we're not currently doing business with them, if the purchasing company isn't currently doing business with them, why aren't they? And let's have some answers to that before we get in front of those customers. Let's determine which customers are interested in doing business with the new company. They may have had some past experiences that lead them to believe they don't want to, and that's a hurdle you're going to have to overcome. You're going to have to understand what those concerns are and try to work through those. Then I think once that's all done, then I think you need to schedule meetings between the current sales rep and whoever's going to be the new sales rep so that they completely understand the customer needs, the customer contacts, the profile of the customer, Once that's done, then you've got to schedule time with the customer themselves, and you've got to get in front of them, either in a room, that'd be preferable, or on a Zoom call or conference call, so that the customer feels like their business is still valued by the company who's being purchased, and it's valued so much that that company's willing to take some time and provide a really good handoff to the new company. That is going to help that relationship get off the ground and get moving in the right direction.
0: What I just heard through all that is effective planning. There needs to be thoughtful, effective planning. Okay, we all know it's trucking, so the plans will last a day before everything is thrown out of whack and you got to got to replan. But planning is still critical, so that replanning, that adjusting, is so much easier. And I think what you're getting at, Gary, is Because not all customers are going to be the same. Not all the equipment's going to be the same. Not all the drivers are going to be the same. You want to have an idea both as a seller and as a buyer, what is the stuff that wants to be kept? And maybe the seller's only selling a piece of the business. They're not selling all of the business. So again, what wants to be kept by the seller? What wants to be kept by the buyer? And what are people okay with maybe going away and finding a better home someplace else? Having that plan so that you can use your communication resources, use your dollars that you're allocating to this transaction effectively.
1: And part of that plan, a key part of that plan, is to have this timeline understood by the shipper so that at a certain point, we're no longer going to receive load orders from you. At a certain point, we're no longer going to want you to load our equipment. At a certain point, if you have loaded the equipment, we're just not going to come and pick it up. You're going to have to reload it. And you've got to be able to communicate that timeline so that those people on the shipping end understand what they're going to do with their freight and what the timeline looks like.
0: I'm gonna brag a little bit for you for a second, but one of your recent projects that you were helping a client on was executing this type of transition. And one of the things that you did, and it was a team effort. I know this enough about you. It was totally a team effort. It wasn't just you doing this, but between the seller, the buyer, Working very effectively together, we don't need to share numbers about anything, but we know that more drivers were retained, that more equipment was returned faster and in still good shape, better shape, and more freight was retained than all of the goals that were set. We've talked about communication. We've talked about planning. Maybe the one that jumps out to me the most is that equipment. Just an excellent job of what I heard from the clients about getting that equipment where it needed to go and in good condition. What happened? What were the secrets?
1: I think the first secret was that the purchasing company knew what they wanted to do with the equipment. So there was a plan in place as to what trailers, for instance, were going to go where. And there was also a plan in place about how we were going to ratchet down the existing company's book of business. So each week, the number of drivers that we had that were assigned to moving freight versus moving equipment ratcheted up. So as the outbound shipments went down, the people that we had available to move the equipment went up. Those two things, that well-planned who's going to do what when, that piece for the drivers and that well-planned, here's where this equipment needs to go. They were very specific. It came down to model year. Model year equipment had a destination depending upon the model year. So it was a good blueprint to be able to follow. So I would say one of the reasons we were very successful with that piece was is because they came in with a plan. They knew what they wanted to purchase and they knew where they wanted to use it once they purchased it.
0: I think what I heard a lot from you during that whole project was you were able to communicate to the drivers, this was the plan. Then you were able to stick to the plan, meaning whenever you had to pivot, and sometimes you did, the drivers weren't sitting there thinking to themselves, all these people have no idea what they're doing. You can't trust anything they say. You were able to follow the plan closely enough to build that credibility. And then you were able to communicate adjustments clearly, timely, effectively to keep building that trust. And what I heard was there weren't just dollars and equipment flying anywhere and everywhere out of the organization.
1: No, there was a budget and that budget was put in place by the purchasing company. So we knew what the goal was. We knew what we had to work with. And I think the other thing that really came out of that was with the good communication of that plan to the drivers, the drivers stuck around longer than you would have anticipated. Even the drivers that were not going to transition to the purchasing company, and some of them had told us that from day one, I'm not going to go to work there. They stuck around and helped us successfully transition because they understood what their role was and it was clearly communicated to them. And that role still offered them a good, reasonable work week where it didn't impact their income.
0: And I think what also this does, what we're describing here about getting equipment and having budgets and hitting those goals and all that kind of stuff, sounds like okay. Well, that's really great for the buyer, but as the seller, hey, once I got my side of this done, I don't know what I need to keep doing about this. But I think what you and I hear a lot from potential sellers is, yeah, the economics got to be there. Let's not be naive. If there's goals, and they need to be there to make a deal work but every owner that I speak with that I think is kind of worth a dang, they care very much about how their people are treated. And that goes for the drivers, the technicians, the office, all of them. They care very much about how they're treated by the potential buyer and what the exit looks like and so on. And having those things planned out and communicated effectively kind of calms everything down, takes the temperature down quite a bit of what can be a difficult transaction.
1: I think that's true. And I think that was certainly the case this project that we just finished up. The selling owners took great pride in the transition and how it was going to work and how their people were going to be treated through that transition, what opportunities were going to be made available to those people. And I think what happens with that is you've got that owner who's got a lot of sweat equity into the company and really cares about what's going on. They've made the decision to transition out of the industry or at least sell part of their business off. They care about what's going to happen to their people. They're prideful people. They care about their reputation within the industry. And when they see a well thought out plan come in by the purchasing company, it does take a lot of the emotion out of it for them. They realize that even though this is a difficult transition to go through, that it's being handled the way they would hope it would be handled. And it's a feel good for them in terms of who the purchasing company is and how they've treated their people. And it's amazing when you've got two different companies, really with two different agendas, a buyer and a seller, and they come together on what they want the transition plan to look like, how much cooperation happens, and how smoothly things can run in a situation like that.
0: One thing that I would encourage employees to consider in any kind of a transaction is they really can be great opportunities for career development. People are watching and to see who steps up and who helps ensure a smooth transition and who is at best not moving the needle and at worst hurting it. What I think you and I have both seen, Gary, is that is not about titles. There are plenty of people without titles that are huge when it comes to the success of a transition. And there are plenty of people with titles that you see really get in the way and just never get past their initial reaction to the transaction, whichever side they might be on.
1: I think that's true. And I think that the sentence that's in every job description that any one of us ever signs, other duties as assigned. That sentence becomes a reality when you go through a transition like this, because it is all hands on deck and it's everyone trying to make sure that things are going the right direction and going well. It's a matter of people just rolling up their sleeves and helping to get the work done. And you're right, the title has nothing to do with it. I mean, I think you and I have both seen example after example after example of the mid-level employee that steps in and just becomes a champion when there's a project like this going on, and those folks are critical to the success of the the transition.
0: Yeah, they really are. And something that I think the employees, when they're engaged, they can really help the buyer and the seller be successful and all the people involved be successful because the really good transactions don't just assume we'll buy it all, we'll take it all, it's ours and move on. I think not every part of every business is a great culture fit with the new part of the business. To use trucking parlance, not all the freight that the seller had is good for the buyer not all the equipment is good not all the drivers are good something that the really good buyers do is they don't lose the good discipline they may be willing to try a little bit but they know what they do well they know what their safety standards are their equipment standards are and so on and they make sure whatever they're buying either is to their standards or they have a plan for getting it to its standards
1: I think that's right, Doug. And I think what you see with successful transitions is just like when you're running the daily business, the people who are successful in this side of the industry have scorecards. So they've got measurables and then they've got deliverables in terms of goals that they want to achieve before the end of the transition. If they create a good scorecard, they know what they want to measure. They know what they're trying to accomplish and they stay focused and true to that scorecard then they're going to get the business they want. They're going to stay away or walk away from the business that they don't want. And at the end of the deal, they're going to come up with a much better purchase and a much better transition than they would have planned. If they just try to look at it and say, we're buying everything and we're going to make everything work, because that really doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. I think what we keep coming back to in many ways, Gary, is planning, communication, and maybe I'll just kind of say thoughtfulness in how you go about this, whether you're on the seller side or or the buyer side. And if you plan well, and you're thoughtful about every part of your business, and you communicate, now that doesn't mean that plans can't change and you may have to communicate pivot points. You're going to have to, every transaction is going to have that. But when you plan and communicate effectively and you're thoughtful throughout, man, that goes a long way to ensuring a successful transaction for the seller and the buyer.
1: And one of the things we saw that went really well in this last project was we talk about scoreboarding or score keeping the communication on a daily, weekly basis of here's the trailers that the selling company shows turned in, here's the trailers that the purchasing company shows accepted. So that we never got to the point where we were a month into it and we were arguing about whether equipment had been turned in or not. That was reconciled daily, for sure, biweekly And those numbers never came into question. And I think that really helped us because I think what happens a lot of times is people just assume, well, that side's taking care of it. And then when they go to count at the end of the project, the numbers aren't matching. Can you imagine trying to reconcile that after the fact? So one of the things that we were proactive about was making sure those numbers matched, making sure there was agreement on what had been done and who had done it. And that really helped us out.
0: And I think that exact same mentality or approach can apply beyond operations or apply beyond equipment. You get the same thing about drivers. How many drivers have we touched? How many drivers have we not touched? How many safety files have we reviewed? The maintenance side, if you start getting into buying shops and you got inventory issues and you got to keep track of and so on, office personnel, you got to have HR conversations, all of that stuff and being planning, having those consistent meetings and teams from both sides that are engaged and focused on ensuring a successful transaction sometimes you can have buyers like whatever, it's not a big deal. Just give it all to me and we'll take it. You can also have sellers that are like, well, whatever we sold, we're done. It's all your problem. If either side is acting like that, there are going to be problems. It takes both sides being engaged. And that starts with the prime decision makers on both sides.
1: I think that's exactly right. And it goes back to the very first thing we talked about, which is the communication. Get your people on board by communicating good, solid message that tells them where they stand. Don't tell them what you think they want to hear. Tell them where they stand. Listen to their concerns. Reiterate to them where they stand, how things are going to go, what the timeline is going to look like, what the opportunities for them are going to be, and you've got a much better chance to be successful.
0: That brings up a great point, Gary, because we have been a part of transactions where you would think the seller has some team members or a lot of team members that are not going to have positions after the transaction, but stay for the four, six, eight weeks, whatever it is to ensure a smooth transaction and not only stay, do an excellent job. I don't want to make it sound like everybody walks away hunky-dory and no problems whatsoever. But that communication builds so much trust and that follow-through builds so much trust. People want to see it be successful and they will stay engaged and they will help you through it, even if they don't necessarily have a guaranteed spot at the end.
1: I think that's true. Most people take pride in their work. And if you communicate with them and make sure that they understand the value that they're bringing to this transaction, they're going to stick around and help you with it. Are there going to be some exceptions? Sure, there are. But for the most part, those folks are going to stick around and see it through with you.
0: Well said, Gary. I think this is a topic that there's a lot going on in the industry in this regard. I mean, all the prognosticators say it's going to continue to be busy. As far as MA work, our advice to our listeners, whatever side you're on, have a plan, communicate it effectively, show a little empathy, be thoughtful in your planning and in your communication for people. And you can have very successful transitions and have those scorecards, have those metrics be meeting on a regular basis to ensure success. To your point, don't end up on the last day saying, well, I thought we were supposed to be getting this many trucks and I only see that many trucks. What's going on here? Those are surprises that should have been avoided long before that. And as always, the Graw Group is happy to help with any of this stuff however we can. So, Gary, thank you again for spending the time this week. I know we're getting to be back to school time for kids and grandkids, so any drivers out there and companies out there, make sure you're safe around all those school zones and so on. Be well, everybody. Thank you.